uh, summer reading, I came across a wonderful chapter in an old book of sermons from the Keswick uh, Convention. I'm on the committee of the Keswick of Port Stewart Convention and the Keswick Conventions all over the world. Uh, in fact, David's on the Keswick of Port Stewart Convention with me. And this was a collection of old Keswick Convention sermons from the 1920s and 1930s. So 100 years ago, long before I was here, or Mervyn Johnson was here, long time ago. And the chapter that I read in this really old book, it was an old book given to me by a friend, described a problem in the spiritual life, which uh, was a problem you know, then for a lot of people, and I think is still a problem now. And it really, really struck me when I read uh, this chapter. It was really a rendering of an old sermon, I think. And it concerns people who've been brought up in the church, people who have, if you like, had the influence of God's Holy Spirit, and they've even committed their lives to follow Jesus Christ as Christians, to seek to walk in His ways. They wake up every morning with a desire to do good, uh, to follow the ways of the Lord, to avoid evil, and, and to, love, to love the Lord by you know, their path and by the way that they walk. But some have broken down, and they fail God in their walk, and the gladness of the gospel ebbs away from uh, their heart, and there's disappointment you know, in their souls. And it seems as if the sin that they've committed, or the sin even in their heads, um, the thought of sin is so great that they feel that there's no way back into, into God's favor. That's how they think, that they've done something so bad um, that they've, they've fallen out of favor with God. Now, I wonder if that describes you or if you know people like that. Uh, I wonder, are there people for whom even being here this evening was a real struggle because of sin, your conscience, or you've said something or done something? I don't know. And you feel as if, there's no way back into God's favor. Well, God would want to address your soul this evening. He would want to speak to you and to heal you. And he would want you to know that he is the God of grace. He is the God of mercy that we've been singing about. He is the God who gives us second chances. Now, this is the clear teaching of Scripture. And I want to begin a reflection this evening in the life of our old friend, Jonah, now, if you turn again to Jonah and you have a look at that scripture, you'll see the, um, the beginning of that story in Jonah chapter 1 describes the problem for, for, for Jonah. The great sin he was about to commit was, of course, his failure to do God's will. Um, chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, uh, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, clearly, God has heard and seen the great evil of the people of Nineveh. Nineveh is like in northern Iraq today, somewhere around there. And God is going to judge the people of Nineveh, but he wants to give them an opportunity to repent and to hear his word and to follow him. It's almost like a, a gospel call to be sent. And, and, and Jonah is like a missionary who's going to take the gospel call of repentance, this cry uh, that, that Nineveh has to hear, you know, that they, they're, they're called to repent and to, to follow God. But Jonah rise, uh, it says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, 
away from the presence of the Lord. It's really interesting when you see these verses, words that are repeated over and over again. The expression, he went down to, to Joppa and went down into it. And then, you know, later on, um, uh, verse 5 there, Jonah goes down into the inner part of the ship. And then we read earlier on, chapter 2, how he goes down into the belly of the whale. That expression is like a physical and a spiritual description of Jonah. Jonah's going down, 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 down. He's going down. He's going down. It's a physical and spiritual description. And this idea of going to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Well, you know, it says in Scripture, doesn't it, that God, you know, David said, God formed me in my inmost parts. You know, Ephesians chapter 1, you know, he has a plan for us from even before we were born. We've been chosen. And yet somehow Jonah, the big shot, he thinks that he can walk away from the presence of the Lord. And he books his ticket to go to Tarsish, mentioned three times there in those verses. Now, Tarsish is like Spain. So he's told to go one way east. He goes about as far west in the known Mediterranean world as he can go, supposedly away from the presence of the Lord. And the worst thing about it is he, he pays for it. He actually pays money to try to get away from the presence and the will of the Lord. It's almost like um, uh, you know, a picture of a young prodigal grows up in the church, hears and sees the beauty of the gospel, baptized in the church, but he leaves and he's far away and he spends all this money to get away. And then we read in verses four to six that there's a great storm, can't get away from the presence of the Lord. He, he, he hurls a great wind. The mariners become afraid, verse 5. They, very religious, people get religious, you know, when they're in trouble. Oh, I have to pray, I have to pray, we're in trouble here. They begin to pray to all their different gods. And they start to hurl all this cargo over the side to try and lighten the boat so that, they, you know, the boat's not going to sink. Then they go looking for Jonah. What's Jonah doing? Well, Jonah's asleep. Bizarre, isn't it? And of course, this in some ways is reminiscent to other stories in Scripture. You know, when Jesus... In Mark chapter 4, he's asleep, isn't he, in the storm? Or Paul in Acts chapter 27, he's on that missionary journey, isn't it, to Malta, and there's a storm, and they have to throw the cargo over. Of course, the difference between Jesus and Jonah and, and, and Paul and Jonah is that Jesus and Paul are concerned about doing God's will. But Jonah's not. Jonah wants to get away from God's well, but then we know what happens in verse 7 to 10. There's a spiritual reckoning for the prodigal Jonah. The lot is cast and the pagans expose him. They, they discern and discover that, that, that maybe the problem lies with Jonah. And in verse 9, he has to say to them, well, you know, uh, they ask him, where are you? who are you? Where are you from? And he said, well, actually, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men became exceedingly afraid and they said to him, what is this that you've done? Aren't you mad, Jonah? trying to get away from the will of the Lord? It's funny how they perceive all this, isn't it? It's almost like they're converted. It's like they're converted, even though Jonah trying to get away from the will of the Lord. And we know the rest of the story in chapter one. Jonah realizes the game's up, so he offers himself as a sacrifice. Now look, lads, it's my fault. I'll jump overboard when the seas will be calm. He says, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. We'll just throw more cargo overboard. But that doesn't work. So in the end, Jonah does have to become the sacrifice to save these mariners, these pagans who become, if you like, believers in God. It's anticipating 
the sacrifice of someone for pagans, isn't it? It's, it's amazing. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then we have that great prayer that I read to you in chapter 2, and um, it's really summed up there in verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. I realize I cannot get away from your will, O Lord, and your presence, even in the belly of a whale. He's praying to God's holy temple. And the Lord spoke to the fish, verse 10. It vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Imagine that, boys and girls. Jonah must have been stinking. And then, chapter 3, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time. God is a God who loves sinners and he wants to show his grace to sinners. He's the God who gives the second chance. Did he give a second chance in Jonah? In fact, he's the God who gives second, third, fourth, fifth, and many, many other chances. Canon Stuart Holden uh, wrote the chapter that I read over the summer, and he said it's God's way out, only to accept us at the first and make us his servants, but to continue to us also the privilege of service, even when we have sinned away our first chance. That's a great line, isn't it? It's God's way out, to accept us at the first, to make us his servants, but to continue to us also the privilege of service, even when we have sinned away our first chance. There's so often this message, this message of God's mercy, of, of his giving people a second chance, has to come to people who maybe they're, they're remembering something in the past which they've done and it troubles them. It might be an action of anger that they've said something and they're, oh no, it's, it's, it's going to happen again. Or an addiction. Uh, I've worked with a lot of people with addictions and, and you know, the past stalks and dogs people or gossip, or lust, or, you know, whatever it is. And, and, and they might be almost lulled into thinking, well, you know, I, I was doing so well as a Christian, but I just can't keep this up. Or maybe God is, is calling us to do something which is going to be hard, or costly. We've got to make a difficult choice at work, or we've got to make a, a difficult choice at home. Or in a relationship with someone. We've got to apologize to someone. Maybe in a sense we have let down the gospel. And we have to apologize. We have to say, look, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian. And I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that and done that. Maybe we have to share the gospel, which is getting harder and harder. We have to go to many Ninevites today, don't we? Many places where we really rather wouldn't go, we have to go. It's hard. There doesn't seem to be just that hunger for God in today's society. And we're retreating into, you know, our little kind of congregational corners, unwilling to share the gospel with many people. Maybe we have to rebuke someone lovingly, and we don't want to do it because we don't like them. Our conscience tells us what the right thing to do is, but we refuse. And the word of the Lord comes to us a second time. You see, the Lord is in control. He will organize the victory, and he still wants to use his failures. People like me, people like you, we are his 
messengers. Now, of course, this whole um, uh, this whole outlook of scripture, if you like, this biblical worldview that we're talking about here, um, this whole idea of giving people a second chance by showing people mercy and grace, completely anathema to the way the world is. We talk about the pitchfork brigade on social media, don't we? Uh, there was a guy this week, Brian Linehan. Uh, he wrote the, the comedy Father Ted that was on Channel 4 all those years ago. He's a comic writer. Uh, he was cancelled uh, at the Edinburgh Festival. They wouldn't allow his play um, or his skit, his comedy skit, to be performed because his views were unpopular in the eyes of the, the organisers. Somebody else that was cancelled for the very same reason was J.K. Rowling, you know, who wrote the Harry Potter books. What was her crime? Her crime was to say that humans born to the womb were women. But she was cancelled. No forgiveness, no mercy, no grace. We live in a world, you know, where if you said something or done something 10, 15, 20 years ago, somebody will cast it up and throw it at your face and say, cancelled, not going to forgive you. It's not the world in which we live. It's a bitter, bitter world. There's no grace. There's no mercy. And actually, sometimes the church can be a little bit like that. We can cancel people. We can shun people. We can cut people off. We can become incredibly self-righteous sometimes. And of course, the whole business of showing mercy, despite the you know, biblical evidence, the whole mandate that rests upon us you know, to actually show mercy and to go and share the gospel with people is it's it's not easy it's you know it's risky to to commission people like jonah isn't it because people like jonah take time and if we're going to show people mercy who need mercy it's going to take a lot of patience but you know the thing about it is when we look through the whole of scripture god has you know a lot of practice dealing with failures if you think of some of the failures that god has worked with adam and eve you know we came back to them a second time abraham Abraham, who needed God's mercy, second, third, and fourth time, when he was an old man. Isaac, the same. Jacob, what a train wreck he was. God had to wrestle with him in order to give him more mercy. Moses and Israel, of course, with tablets of stone, where the Ten Commandments were inscribed, had to be written a second time. God coming back to show mercy and grace. And then, of course, you know, we have the prophets, Speaking of grace to come, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, you know, Ezekiel, the minor prophets, they're all holding out hope of a second chance for Israel. And then Jesus, of course, he came to fulfill the word of, 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 of God's grace to Israel, uh, was abandoned, betrayed, and forgave, forgave, and forgave, didn't he? Seven times, seventy so consistent in his outworking of God's own love and compassion, so consistent that he forgave at the cross, showed mercy, even after people deserted him. What did he say to Peter? Feed my sheep. Told Peter three times, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Then we get to the book of Acts. John, Mark, Paul, and Barnabas, they had a big bust up, didn't they? They had to get a second chance. Or we... Um, See in the book of Revelation, 
Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. He wants to come in. He wants the church to understand mercy and grace in order to show mercy and grace. The principle is well established. You know, God comes to simple people from Genesis to Revelation again and again and again. And what he wants to do is give people a second chance. Now, what does it mean for us? I think, uh, as we draw to a close shortly, I think there are three things here which are really important. The first is this. We need to understand how great God's mercy is in the first place. This whole idea of getting a second chance. I mean, God really hates sin. You, you don't have to you know, have a, a kind of PhD in theology to understand that God hates sin. He hates your sin and he hates my sin. He hates it with a passion. And sin and your failure in sin is a thing hateful to God. It's awful. So don't think for a moment that God's recommissioning of Jonah was a kind of a pat on the back. Or it'll be okay, Jonah. You're not too bad. God hated what Jonah did. You know, he, he was spoken to three times by God. He was commissioned three times to go to Nineveh, and he still sinned. He still uh, sinned. And, and many of us actually still stubbornly st uh, sin. So, so when we think of, you know, Jeremiah 44, verse 4, um, I came across this uh, verse in my own personal Bible readings uh, in the last week or two. Jeremiah 44, verse 4 God says, I persistently send to you all my servants, the prophets, saying, do not do the abominations that I hate, but they did not listen. You know, Judah would not listen. You know, people, people are very proud. And people don't want to admit. You know, you'll not want to admit that you're a sinner. You've probably done some dreadful things in your lives, as I have myself, in the sight of God. And, and what we don't want to do is admit that and confess that. And, and, and the Bible calls us to die to our sin. And that, that's a painful process, isn't it? You know, whenever Jesus says, you know, in John 12, unless a grain of wheat falls and dies, it cannot bear fruit. Or Paul says, you know, because Christ has died for us, we have died with Christ on the cross, Romans 6, uh, 1, 1 to 4. You know, so therefore we die to sin. We put sin to death. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, I die every day. And that's painful. And yet, Paul also says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And his death has ongoing power every day. We need his mercy, and his mercy is new every morning. It's immeasurable grace. The word of the Lord comes to us a second time. The word of the Lord will dawn on your soul tomorrow morning, and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every day but that doesn't cheapen grace, okay? Grace is precious because we need it. We are sinful people. So we get his mercy every morning. Secondly, what this does is this gives us confidence in his love. Sometimes whenever, you, you know, the memory of the past or even, you know, the worry of the future, it, it, it does cause us pain and it makes us feel resistant you know, to, to actually engage in ministry and mission for the sake of the gospel and of God's will. Uh, but actually, what, what we should do instead is, is be confident in God's plans and God's love. Over the summer, as you know, the weather wasn't great. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, we, we didn't really get that far. I was jealous of all the people who went to Portugal and all these 
I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands. We were in Portrush, right? It was raining all the time. Two weeks ago, two Saturdays ago, there was a skating competition. Um, I don't know, if, did anybody here skate? No? All the skaters were there outside Barry's. And uh, I, I was watching these skaters at 53 years old thinking, oh, I, wonder, I, wonder, I wonder, could I do that? I wonder, could I be like one of those skater boys? And they went down one ramp and then along the ground and they went up the other ramp, flipped through the air, did their somersaults and then down the other side landing. And I thought to myself, mentally, I was thinking, right, you know, typical boy, now, I wonder what I would do. How hard would I have to train to do that? And I was thinking, you know, when I was a kid, seven years old, I, I tried the skateboard thing and it didn't work. It was, it was too, too plump, all right? And uh, I'm the kind of guy who would fall off very, very easily. And, and I was thinking, if I, if I tried to do that skating thing, you know, down one ramp and up, up the other and, you know, all those stuff, I thought I would have to remember about my elbows and about my ankles and I would have to wear pads. And if, if I fell off, I know the second time that I tried, or the third time that I tried, or the fourth time that I tried, eventually I would get there, but the pain of the mistakes would help me skateboard the way I'd want to. It's the same as riding a bike, or it's the same as you know, falling off a horse. When you're trying to learn how to ride a horse, they say when you fall off a horse, just get back on the horse. The pain and the memory of the past helps us remember you know, we'll do it better next time. Now, God is good. He, he really cares for us. He really wants us to grow in the grace of his son. He loves us. We're never separate from, our love, uh, from, from his love. So when he asks us to do something and we feel scared about it, we, we need to remember it's for our good, which is his glory. And we can be absolutely confident about that. He's not concerned about our reputation in this world. He's concerned about our understanding and serving him in his will and in his love. Remember what Paul said to the Philippians, he who began a good work will, will bring it to completion. And this love that we can be so confident in is future orientated. The past, our mistakes and the pains of the past that we've done and said and committed, that can teach us and can inform us and remind us of what sin is like and what we can be like but it doesn't trap us. It doesn't define or trap us. And so we have to let go of all of our old fears and our prejudices and biases uh, and be transformed by the renewal of our mind as we contemplate the gospel and present our bodies as living sacrifices, confident that God is going to fill us with his love as he has promised. So we need to understand how great God's mercy is. In the first place, we're sinners. Secondly, this gives us confidence in his love. His plans for us are good plans. And thirdly, finally, that means we can apply the second chance of mercy and grace to other people. Now, we need to be careful here. I think pastorally, we need to be wise. Um, you know, there are some people in the Bible for whom it has been said, 1 Timothy 1 verse 20, Paul said to Timothy, you know, I've handed Alexander over to Satan. Now, I haven't got time to unpack um, the meaning of that verse, but I think there are some people who literally we can't help and we can't, in a sense, show mercy to. In fact, the most merciful thing to do is to stay away from them. 
It might be somebody in an abusive relationship or uh, with a, an addiction problem. Somebody who's manipulative in relationships. It's wise and merciful to stay away from people like that. To shake the dust off your feet, if you like, for your own soul's sake. But for most of us, most of the time, actually, that's not the case. Most of us, most of the time, you know, we're in the habit of keeping long accounts of other people's sins, aren't we? Little mental notebooks. Oh, he, she, he said this or she did that. We need to scrap that. We need to keep short accounts. And I know this is hard. But the gospel is, you have been given a second chance. I've been given a second chance. We've been shown mercy. Now go and do likewise, Jesus said. And it's so much better when we actually do that and when the gospel is applied in our lives. It's so much better for us because, you know, Jonah, Jonah we, we assume you have the Jesus to come. We're looking back at the cross and the resurrection. We know the power of the gospel in a richer and deeper way than Jonah did. And, and that life is a blessed life because we, we are freed from, you know, the past. We, we are not, you know, motivated by guilt or by debt. We are free to love and affirm and seek to affirm other people, to speak well and to think well of other people, to love our enemies and be merciful just as our Heavenly Father is merciful as Luke records in his gospel. So the question tonight is this as we finish. Who are you willing to show mercy to this week? Who are you going to give a second chance to this week? In Jesus' name, let's pray.